Well, well, thank you so much, Chris. It's uh, it's wonderful uh, to be with you and to uh, man, you know, from Cameroon to Lufkin, Texas, and I didn't know there was a Lufkin, Texas, but now I do. Now I do. So uh, here we go. It's uh, it's just a pleasure to be with you. Let me um, let me tell you just a little bit of the plan. You know, I'm speaking on perseverance. Tonight, I'm just sort of setting out the issues. We really won't solve anything tonight, but just kind of setting out the big, big picture. Tomorrow night, I'm going to say, talk about how perseverance isn't uh, perfection. Then Sunday morning, perseverance isn't works righteousness. That's my talk. And then for the sermon, it's a, a little bit of a different sermon, because in the sermon, I'm going to kind of put together everything we've talked about. Uh, so it's not, it's kind of not a typical sermon I do. But, you know, if you don't like it, I'm leaving, you know. <laughs> so it'll be okay. You'll be like, he's gone. Good. You know, it's, it's all over now. You know, you can, you can handle anything for an hour, right? So, yeah. But, yeah, thanks again for inviting me. It's just uh, great to... Great to be here. Let's pray again before we start. Father, we do ask now that you'd come, help us at the end of a day. Doubtless some of us are tired and weary or other things are distracting us, um, either really good things or painful things. Well, we pray, Lord, though, that you'd help us by your spirit to uh, concentrate and think on your word, Lord. Give us Give us that attention and and strength we need. Uh, Open up your word to us, uh, and Lord, uh, encourage us with the truth of your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start by saying this, what what do we say to to new uh, Christians? What do do we say to new uh, believers? I better take my phone out here to see how long I'm talking. So... uh, you know, years ago, uh, Diane and I met this couple. The, um, the guy I actually went to high school with, but they, they were married, and um, they came to a Bible study I was leading, and, and that week, they both became Christians. Real, super exciting. We started hanging out with them all the time, did Bible studies with them, so forth and so on, and uh, there was a lot of uh, significant growth. But maybe, you know, I don't remember the exact time period, but maybe a year and a half later, uh, we'd moved to a different city, but we still saw them some. But um, he called me on the phone and he said, Amy's leaving me. She's, uh, she doesn't want to have anything to do with me anymore. I got on the phone and I said, well, Amy, I mean, would you go to counseling? Would you do anything? Nope. No, just really hard, right? Really, you know, Pat... Uh, his name was Pat. Pat hadn't had an affair or anything. You, you, I mean, obviously, you're always married to another sinner, but he was a good husband. He loved her. And, but uh, for various reasons, yeah, nothing. And, then, and with that, she threw over the Christian faith. And um, as far as I know, she's, she's uh, never uh, come back. Um, so, you know, uh, I was very young then. When, when Amy first, the reason I remember this story, when Amy first became a Christian, I said to her, Amy, no matter what you do now, you're saved. I said that to her when I was, uh, you know, 21 years old or something like that. No matter what you do. So, so what do we say to a person when they first, first become a Christian? Well, we actually have these verses in the book of Acts. And the first one, uh, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're quick at flipping in your Bible, that's good. If you're not quick, and you could write down a reference or you could just listen, whatever works for you. But the first one is, I'll be going over a lot of verses tonight. But the first one is Acts chapter 11, verse 23. Uh, this, is when, this is when Barnabas went up to Syrian Antioch, up north there, and uh, the Gentiles were becoming Christians and, and we read about it in this verse, when Barnabas came and saw 
the grace of God, he was glad, of course, right? But then what did he say to him? Of course, Luke gives us a very compressed account of what he said. Surely he talked to him a really long time, right? But But here's how he sums it up. And he exhorted them all to to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So what did he he say to these new Christians? He said, you need to remain faithful to the Lord. You need to be intentional, intentional about continuing to follow the Lord. Two chapters later, Acts chapter 13, verse 43 Acts chapter 13, verse 43. This is the, the Paul and Barnabas. They're on their first uh, missionary journey. And um, the, Paul's just preached a, a long sermon in, uh, in Pisidian Antioch, right? There's a Syrian Antioch and a Pisidian Antioch. Chris told me we are going to have a test at the end of this time. See if you remember that. Not, not really. But... Um, Acts chapter 13, verse 43, after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, Paul had just preached a long sermon, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, so what did they say to these people who were just responding? They urged them to continue in the grace of God. So they urged them to, what, persevere. That's our topic, right? So... You know, we have two passages now of these people who are new believers. In both cases, right, it's, it's, there, there's other things they said, but in both cases they urge them to persevere. Acts chapter 14, verse 22. So the, the, these are the same churches. This is the end of that first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas visited four different churches in this area. So they, they came back through and saw them another time. And there's a lot of interesting things in these verses, but we read in verse 22 of chapter 14 that they strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Hang in there. Continue. Persevere. And they said that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So if you're a believer, you already know that, right? There are many uh, tribulations, you know that word, people don't use the word tribulation except for Christians anymore, really, right? But that word, that, that word actually in Greek ha- has the idea of pressing. So I like to say through many pressures, through many pressures and stresses, we enter the kingdom of God. And if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you know that's true. That's, uh, we are to persevere through those pressures and stresses of life. But once again, right, three passages, this is what they said, persevere. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 through uh, verse 5. This is a really fascinating passage. Paul has evangelized the Thessalonians. He had to leave town uh, because of persecution. He went to Athens. Um, Timothy and Silas uh, joined him in Athens. But he, he sends Timothy back out to go to the Thessalonians. And we'll, we'll read about that here now. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, the we there is really I, right? Paul's speaking in the plural, but when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. I don't know if you've ever been alone in a big city and felt lonely, but Paul didn't know anybody there really. And so, you know, his partners in the ministry were very precious. But he said, I'm willing to be alone. He sends Timothy, we we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to to establish you and and exhort and encourage you in your faith. Why? That no one may be moved by these afflictions, right? They're new Christians. This letter was probably written six months after they became Christians. And he says, you know, these pressures were coming. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. You you already know that you're going to experience those things as Christians. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction 
just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. So Paul said, I told you it was not always going to be easy. And, And actually, six months in, you've already experienced that it's been hard. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, notice the I here now. That's Paul. I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you. That's Satan, right? For fear. And that the tempter had tempted you, and listen to this last line. Sometimes Baptists don't hear this last line. By the way, I believe no true Christian loses salvation, okay? So don't hear me saying that. But still, sometimes we don't hear this last line. For, For fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. I think that's very significant because Paul wasn't convinced that they were truly Christians unless they persevered. So Paul could even say, I wondered if my labor among you was for nothing. Isn't that, that's what labor in vain means. I wondered, I wondered if you were really Christians at all. I wondered, I worried about that, Paul says. Well, then he goes on to say in the next verses, yeah, you guys have responded so well, I'm so happy. But, but it fits, right? It fits with what I'm saying. What do you say? What do you say to new Christians? You say, you need to keep believing. You need to keep persevering. You need to keep trusting. Well, that's the same thing we say to all Christians. Some other verses. First Peter chapter 5, verse 12. You know, a lot of people, scholars who've written on First Peter, argue that this verse sums up the whole letter, that last phrase. So Peter says, by Syl- Silvanus, who's Silas, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you. And then he tells us what he wrote about. So those are important verses, right? I've written briefly to you, and now you have the summary, right? I've written... And now he sums up the letter, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. So what's First Peter about? It's about the true grace of God. I've exhorted you about it. I've declared to you what it is. And then what does he say? This is stand firm in it. Stand in that grace. Peter says at the end of the letter, here's my message to you. Hang in there. Stand firm in the grace. Jude, the the letter of Jude, right before Revelation, only one chapter, verses 20 and 21. Jude says, I I think this is Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, one of the the children of Mary and Joseph. So Jesus is half-brother. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Oh, those are fascinating. But here's what I want to focus on. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Isn't that what he says to them? Now, now of course, God keeps us too, doesn't he? Right? But I'm focusing here on keep yourselves in the love of God, he says. Stay in God's love. That's a command he gives them. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. 1215, the author says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. He says, watch out that this doesn't happen in your congregation. This root of bitterness arises and many are defiled and and then some don't experience God's grace. 2 Corinthians Chapter 6, verse 1. Why am I reading so many verses? Because I want you to see this is all over the New Testament, right? I'm not talking just about one verse. It's over and over and over we see these kind of things. Second Corinthians has written to people who are already Christians, right? He's not writing to non-Christians. He's writing to Christians. And this is what Paul says in this first verse. He says, working together with, with God, then, we appeal to you, not to receive the grace of God in vain. There it is again. Don't receive God's grace in vain. What does in vain mean? Don't, don't receive it for nothing. 
If you receive it in vain, that, that means it, it does you no good, right? It, it means you're going to be judged. It means, it means one goes to hell to receive it in vain. Now, Paul says that to Christians, right? So don't receive God's grace in vain. Philippians chapter 2, verse 16. Paul says, hold fast to the word of life. There's that idea of perseverance, you see it? Hold, hold fast. Hang on to it. So that in the day of Christ, that's the day of judgment, right? What's the day of Christ? That's the day of judgment, the final day. So I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And it's that same idea again, right? This is a consistent thing Paul says. Because if you don't hold fast, if you don't persevere, then, then my labor has been in vain. So what do we say to new Christians? Hang in there. What do we say to old Christians? Hang in there. So when we talk about perseverance... I want to talk about the warnings that are in the Bible, the, the warning passages, first of all. And we think especially of the epistle to the Hebrews. But I want to show you tonight, and that's basically all I'm going to do tonight, I want to show you that these warnings are all over the place. So this is Bible reading time, right? You think it's already been Bible reading time. That is true. But I've learned something as a speaker, and it's this. The Bible has a lot better ideas than I do. So I, I don't know how that came to me, but one day it did. So, so we're going to talk about warnings. But first, I'm going to say something uh, uh, theological, and uh, I'm going to give you some categories. And I'll talk more about these categories uh, later, but not so much tonight. But here, here's some categories for understanding these warnings. Here. Here, here's, here's one category. Arminians, not Armenians, right? Armenians are an ethnic group that live, you know, near, near the country of Turkey. Actually, there was a great Armenian genocide. Do you know that? Around 1918, 1919. But uh, the Arminian view of the warnings is the warnings are for believers. So you have warnings, right? They're for believers. They're, they're, they're about salvation. And therefore, believers can commit apostasy and fall away and be damned. Right? That's the Arminian view. The warnings are for believers. The warnings are about salvation. Believers can commit apostasy. That means deny the faith and therefore go to hell. That's the Arminian view. So I am not an Arminian. But... Arminianism, it's not heresy, right? It's not heresy. There's a difference between heresy and teaching that isn't, that's defective, let's say, right? So Arminians, John Wesley was an Arminian, but he was great, a great Christian, wasn't he? So many great Christians in history have been Arminians, right? And uh, so we're not talking about we're not saying we're better Christians than them. Of course, maybe you don't agree with what I'm saying anyway, right? I don't know what you believe. But an Arminian, um, an Arminian view is part of the broad Orthodox tradition. Arminians are our brothers and our sisters in the Lord. So that's important to say, isn't it, when we talk about different views, to recognize, hey, you know, people who believe in infant baptism, like Presbyterians, maybe there's a Presbyterian here tonight. We love you if you're here. Most of us are Baptists. Maybe all of us are Baptists. I don't know. But a Presbyterian view on infant baptism, that's not heretical, right? It's just wrong, right? <laughs> that's what we'd say. And it has some consequences. But if you're a Presbyterian, I hope I didn't offend you. We love you. So, and the, Pastor Chris will give you a hug after church. So, so, um, so that's one view. That's a very long-standing view in the history of the church. There's another view, I mean, you could call this various things, but they call themselves the free grace view. I kind of resent that title. I think I believe in free grace. I don't hold this view, obviously, since I said I resent the title. But this view says the warnings are for believers, 
But, it, but the warnings are not about salvation, but about receiving rewards. So you're right, you have these warnings, but they say it's not about salvation, it's about receiving rewards. And they say you can lose your rewards, right? You can't lose your salvation, but you can lose your reward. So that view, that view, was, that view kind of came out of Dallas Seminary, which isn't that far from here, but not everybody at Dallas teaches this view, by the way. So it's complex. <laughs> uh, but, but that view is, some, you know, in some circles it's very popular. And then there's a lot of Christians who've never heard of it, right? So that's a rel- that, that, in the history of the church, that's a relatively recent view. So I, I don't think that view is heretical either. Then, 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 then there's a view um, that, I, I don't know, it depends on where you are, but there's a, there's a view that's especially associated with Doug Wilson. Have you heard that name? Doug Wilson's up in Moscow, Idaho. He's a Presbyterian. And I call this view the federal vision view. That's, that's really what they call themselves, the federal vision. They say they're more Calvinistic, right, in their view, uh, but they say the warnings are to those who are in covenant with God, and the warnings are about salvation. Um, but being in the covenant is not the same as being saved and elect. So that's kind of a complicated view, right? You can, you can, all everybody who's been baptized. So, you know, Wilson would say, he's not a Catholic, he's a Presbyterian of sorts, but Wilson would say Catholics are in covenant with God, but that doesn't mean if you're in the covenant, because if you're baptized, you're in the covenant. But just because you're in the covenant, that doesn't mean you're saved. So for, so for Wilson, you can, the, everybody who's elect will be saved, but not everybody who's in the covenant is saved. So that's, that's kind of a complicated view. Then, lastly, a, a very popular view of the warnings in Hebrews. This is the view that John Calvin held. This is the view that John Owen, these great, the great Puritan, held. Um, today, maybe some of you know the name Wayne Grudem. He holds this view. Don Carson, a very famous Christian, holds this view. This view is. This view says the. the this is what I call the almost Christian view almost Christian. Hebrews is written to those who are almost believers. Not quite. They've been enlightened, but they're not really believers. They're almost Christians. You know, they're sharers of the Holy Spirit. They've had some experiences with the Spirit, but they haven't actually received the Spirit. It's about salvation, and those who fell away never had salvation, right? Because they're almost Christians, right? They were never saved at all. So what's, what are those strong warnings in Hebrews about? They're about, they're about people, they're about people who, were, who were never saved. Now, I'm going to argue that all those views are wrong, <laughs> okay? I'm going to argue, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to argue. I'll give you a little preview. I'm going to say, as I march through, that the, um, that the warnings are a means to salvation, a means to final salvation, and the warnings are addressed to believers. So I, I disagree with the almost Christian view, right? Because the almost Christian view says they're not really believers. The warnings are about salvation. So I sound like an Arminian so far. And, and then I'll say, the, this is what I'm going to argue, just to give you a little preview. And the warnings always work in the lives of those who belong to God. That's, that's what I'm going to say. So the, a little preview. If you want to leave right now, go ahead. I'm just kidding. So, all right. So, here we go. Now, now I'm just going to read you and comment on a bunch of different warnings. Because uh, what I want you to see is, you might think, well, like, what are we talking about with these warnings? We're just going to read texts. We're just going to experience them. And what I'm doing is I'm reading, I'm reading, I could go all over, but I'm reading from Matthew. I'm reading from John. I'm reading from Galatians and Romans, and well, if we have time, Colossians, 2 Timothy, 2 Peter, 2 John, Revelation, and Hebrews. Why am I doing that? I want you to see they're all over the Bible. We're not just talking about Hebrews. So usually when I get in this discussion, people say, 
What do you do with, the, with Hebrews? But I'm saying, what do you do with all these verses? So here we go. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. Jesus says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. He doesn't say the one who is saved will endure to the end. That's true, right? There are many verses that teach the one who is saved will endure to the end. But that's not what this verse says, right? This verse says, this verse emphasizes something different. The one who endures will be saved. Don't reverse it, right? Actually read what the text says. The one who endures, the one who perseveres will be saved. It's a call to endurance. Because he's saying, look, you're going to be hated. You're going to be tempted to give in. You must endure. Matthew 10, 32. Just 10 verses down. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, this is a warning, right? Whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. That's a warning. If you deny me, Jesus says, I'll deny you on the last day. I'll deny I know you. You will have no part with me. So we'll we'll return to this idea again. But that's a bracing word from the Lord Jesus Christ. Five verses down. Matthew 10, 37. An- another, these, these are strong words, right, from Jesus. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Of course, we're to love our father and mother, but not more than Jesus, right? Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You know, God really used these verses in my life. I was converted out of Roman Catholicism when I was 17, and I have seven brothers and sisters, and we are a really close family. And I was the first person in our family to become a believer. And that was difficult. It was difficult for my parents, difficult for other family members. But, you know, the Lord impressed on me right from the beginning. I love my mom and dad, and I love my brothers and sisters. They were amazing. I came from a good family, a wonderful family. But Jesus comes first, right? Jesus comes first. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So those are bracing words from Jesus Christ. John 15, 6. This is the parable of the vine and the branches. If anyone does not abide in me, People don't use the word abide very much anymore. If anyone does not remain in me, continue in me, that's what that word means, right? If anyone does not persevere in me, right, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire and burned. If you don't remain, continue and abide, I think that's a clear picture of judgment. John 15. So now we go, we go to uh, uh, Paul. So, you know, we've looked at Matthew. We've looked at John. I've already read verses from Acts. But now, now some verses from Paul. Paul, in writing Galatians, this is Galatians chapter 5, verse 2. Paul, in writing Galatians, is writing to a church that is thinking of accepting circumcision and the law to be saved, right? They're thinking should. So Paul says... Look, this is chapter 5, verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. What does that mean? I mean, if Christ is of no advantage to you, you don't belong to him, right? Christ will be of no advantage to you. He won't profit you at all. So Paul says, this is no light decision. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. So if you, if you say the law is the way to salvation, you've got to do it all. 
Paul says. So, you know, remember what I said to Amy? You know, you're saved no matter what you do. But we already saw an Acts, right? You can't say that. <laughs> That's not what New Testament writers say. They don't say to new converts, you're saved no matter what you do. They say, persevere to the end. They say something very different, right? Very, very different. We had a student at Southern. He was very evangelistic. He was wonderful. He was fantastic. He wrote a gospel tract. But he shared it with me. And in the gospel tract, he wrote, if you, if you become a Christian, you're saved no matter what you do. But I said to him, take that out. <laughs> I said, this is a great gospel tract, but take that out because that's not what the Bible says, you know? Don't put that in. Don't put that in. And he took it out, you know? He, I, he saw that what I was saying was right. Listen to Romans chapter 11, verse 19. This is Paul's writing to Gentile Christians in the churches at Rome. Then you... This is verse 19. That's the Gentile Christians. Then you will say, branches, those are Jewish branches, these Jewish branches were broken off so that I, the Gentile Christian, might be grafted in. Like, hey, these Jews have been cut off, but I'm a Gentile and I'm in. That's true, Paul says. They were cut off. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you Gentiles stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear, right? But fear. There's a kind of fear that's bad, right? Paralyzing fear is bad, isn't it? But there's a kind of fear that's good, right? There's a kind of fear that's good. It's not a paralyzing fear. There's a kind of fear when you drive a car, right? You stay alert. Yesterday I was driving in Louisville. It rained an inch and a half there yesterday. So I, there, I, I wasn't paralyzed by fear. But, I mean, I drove carefully, <laughs> you know. I was on the freeway. The rain was just pelting down. It was a little bit hard to see. So I was careful. I was, I was aware. So there's a kind of fear that's helpful, right? So Paul says, fear. Why? Why should you fear? For if God did not spare the natural branches, that's the Jews, neither will he spare you. That's what you should be afraid of, he says. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen. By the way, I don't think Paul is saying they lost their salvation, but that's for another time. But God's kindness to you now, here's the part I want to emphasize. But God's kindness to you provided, provided if you continue in his kindness. God's kindness to you if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, I didn't write this, right? Otherwise, you too will be cut off. That's what he says. That's what he wrote. How many Christians who rightly say you can't lose your salvation, but they have no category for these verses. They don't know what to do with them, right? They don't do anything with them. They skip over them. But here it is. It's a warning. God's kindness to you, provided you continue, you persevere in His kindness. Otherwise, if you don't, you too will be cut off. Remarkable. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, your sinful nature, you will die. I don't think he means physically. Spiritually. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's an if there. Galatians 5, 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Galatians 5.19, now the works of the flesh are evident. I love that verse. Oh, the works of the flesh, aren't they hard to figure out? No, they're clear. <laughs> it's easy, you know? Sexual sin, idolatry, fighting, quarreling, drunkenness. Paul says, those aren't hard to figure out. But then what does he say in verse 21? I warn you, 
You know, we're talking about warnings tonight. We're just picking out all these warnings. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right? Here's the works of the flesh. If you practice those things, you won't inherit the kingdom, Paul says. I warned you about that, and I'm warning you again. That's strong. Listen, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. He's writing to Christians. And you, Colossians 1, 21, and you who were once alienated, right, separated from God. That's what alienated means, right? And you were hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order on the last day to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Verse 23, if, if, if indeed you continue in the faith. He'll present you holy and blameless and without reproach if you continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So there's that if. Second Timothy two eleven. I'm skipping some verses. Time's passing. The saying is trustworthy. Verse twelve. If we deny him, he'll, he will also deny us. If we deny him, he will also deny us. I had a very dear friend. I'll tell you more about his story. I'll just tell you the first part. He became a believer. He became a believer when Mount St. Helens blew, which was 1980. I forget the exact day. It was May. I, I was actually. So that happened 45 minutes north of uh, Portland, Oregon, Mount St. Helens, that volcano blew. I was preparing Sunday school that day. I was in seminary then in Portland. I was preparing Sunday school at our uh, uh, dining room table, and uh, I didn't know it blew <laughs> because it, it went east. <laughs> and uh, Portland south, and it was a beautiful sunny day. And I went to church. And then we went in the afternoon, we went and we, were, we, we heard Beethoven's Sixth Symphony, and I found out in the restroom, <laughs> I found out Mount St. Helens blew. I, you know, I was clueless the whole day. This mountain was exploding next 45 minutes from us. But, um, you know, it went, it went the other way. But I had a friend who I met later. He, he repented that day. The, 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 the ashes were coming, and he thought it was the end of the world. And he's like, I better get right with God. So... You know, when, when I went down to, uh, to Southern California, I was at a school down there, and then I taught at another school down there for a few years. So we went down there, and we were in a Bible study with them, and he was a zealous evangelist and uh, hungry for God's Word. But maybe, I don't know, t- you know, I'm terrible at time, but 15 years later, he was married and had three kids. He, ca- he calls me, and he says, I'm leaving my wife. I'm leaving my wife, I'm leaving my kids, and I'm running off with this other person. And um, I just said to him, how do I put this in this group? I hope you understand what I'm about to say. I said to him, so uh, we talked about more things. I said, so, so, so Brad, you're willing to go to hell for sex, huh? That's what I told him. So you're willing to make that bargain. So... And he didn't repent when I said that, but I think what I said was the right thing So to him that day. If we deny him, and I think Brad was denying him by what he was doing. If we deny him, I don't, I don't care about all those other things that happen. If we deny him, he'll also deny us. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection, affection with love. For if these qualities, if these virtues are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. 
For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So I was talking to a friend of mine at Southern Seminary. I won't say the name. But I said, man, sometimes when I read verses 8 through 11, they make me tremble a little bit. And he said to me, that's why it's so wonderful that Christ is our righteousness and our righteousness isn't in ourselves. And I said, yes, that is so true. And I said, but what does this verse mean? (laughs) Right? What does this verse mean? Don't be too quick to cancel out the warning here, right? Yes, that is absolutely true. Christ is our righteousness. More on that tomorrow. But tonight, right, let's not be too quick just to wave away what's here. You know, how how do we... This is what I'm here to talk about. How do we put that together? 2 John, verse 7. 2 John, of course, it's only one chapter. John says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Many. Those who do not. Who are the deceivers? They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. They denied, you know, John's saying they denied that Jesus was fully human. By the way, today, uh, a very typical heresy is to deny that he's fully divine. But both are heresies, right? Is that okay to say that? What does John say? Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. That's not okay, (laughs) right? Then what does he say? Verse 8, watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. So that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Well, you might think, well, that's just a reward up above, above and beyond eternal life. He's not saying watch yourself in terms of salvation. But the next verse makes it clear. He has salvation in view. Because he says, verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide remain in the teaching of Christ. Everyone who denies these t- this teaching does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So, he's not, he's not just saying, it's okay if you deny this. If you don't have the Father and the Son if you deny this. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, to the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What's the tree of life? That's eternal life, right? If you conquer, if you overcome, then you eat of the tree of life. But if you don't conquer, obviously you don't eat of the tree of life, right? Revelation chapter 2, verse 11. This is all over Revelation. I'm just reading you a couple verses. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And the second death is the lake of fire, right? It's hell. So you've got to conquer so you won't be injured by the second death. So all this is saying, I could have read a lot more verses. These warnings to persevere and continue until the end are pervasive in the New Testament. They're all over the place. And the free grace view is clearly wrong because it's not just about rewards. All, the, all these texts are about eternal life. So I, that, uh, that free grace view, I think we can say that's clearly a misunderstanding of text after text after text. So that brings us, time's almost up here tonight, but that brings us to Hebrews. And I just want to read these warning passages in Hebrews and make some quick comments about them, and then we'll continue. And I'll really, really, I'll come to my final conclusions on these Sunday morning. But I want to say something about, you know, it depends on where your Bible reading is, but everybody, when they talk about Hebrews, they go right to Hebrews 6, right? But, but we need to remember Hebrews is a sermon. Hebrews is a sermon. He tells us that at chapter 8, 13, verse 22. It's a sermon, and, uh, you know, you can read it in about an hour or something like that, the whole book, out loud, something like that. Depends on how fast you read, right? So it's not that long of a sermon. Um, 
Well, it depends on how long you think sermons should be, right? But whatever. So uh, it's a sermon, and what he does is five different times he warns them. And, and those warning passages should all be interpreted together. You know, like any good preacher, he has basically, I'm not saying you always have to do this, but there's basically one point in his sermon, right? So he warns them in chapter 2. He gives them a little theology. Then he comes back to the warning in chapter 3 and 4. More theology, warns them again in 5 and 6. More theology, warns them again in chapter 10. More theology, warns them in chapter 12. All those warnings are saying the same thing. They mutually interpret one another. So I think that's really helpful to think of them that way because often people just run to chapter 6 and that's the only one they read. But we've got to read them together. So here we go. I'm just going to read them really fast. And then um, we'll we'll have Chris come up here and do whatever he wants to do. So chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, the author says, we... He doesn't say you, we, he includes himself. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. There it is, right? It's falling away. And, and, and here he uses the image of, a, of a, a kind of a ship in a harbor not being anchored, just drifting out to sea. Verse 3, how shall we escape? We, not just you. How shall we escape? If we neglect such a great salvation. And I think he's saying we won't. If we neglect that, we won't escape. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Now, this is a very long passage. So I'll read it fast. Because this is a long warning. I actually could have began in verse 7. But he says, now, now here he, does, he uses the word you. You know, he says, he says you. So he's writing to the church, Right? I don't think he's saying it doesn't apply to me, but sometimes he uses you, right? So here, but he's writing to believers, right? He's writing to the church. Take care, brothers. Take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, an evil heart. What's an evil heart? Ah, an unbelieving heart. Leading you. What does an evil, unbelieving heart do? Leading you to fall away. Right? There's our word, right? Watch out, lest you'd have that evil Unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Watch out for that, he says. But instead, you should exhort one another one day a year. No, that's not what he says. But exhort one another every day, every day. Encourage each other. That's what you're called to do, right? Encourage each other every day as long as it is called today. Why? That none of you may be hardened. See, that's the sin, right? You're growing hard towards God by the deceitfulness of sin because sin is deceitful, right? Sin tells us, well, yeah, if I fall away, it won't matter. It's no big deal. It'll be fine. Everything will be fine. For we, we, now he says we, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, you know, this applies to us tonight, to me, to you, don't, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as the people did in the wilderness. So I'm going to skip some verses here. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, I think the rest stands for heaven here, our heavenly rest. That that promise is before you. Let us fear. So there's a good use of fear, right? Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as it came to the wilderness generation, But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. I think he's saying, you know, the ten spies didn't have the same faith as Joshua and Caleb. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 
So he keeps repeating that. That's very important, isn't it? Don't let your heart, you know, and I say that to all of you tonight and to me, don't let our hearts grow cold towards God. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive while we're alive to enter that rest so that no one may fall. There's the warning, right? By the same sort of disobedience. He says, you don't want to be like that wilderness generation. They never got in the land. So that's, that's chapters 3 and 4. Now I'm going to skip to chapter 10. We'll come back to chapter 6. Chapter 10, verse 26. For if we, back to we, right? He includes himself again. All of us. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That verse seems kind of difficult to people. But what I think he means is this. If you denounce Christ, if you renounce Christ, obviously there's no forgiveness for you, right? Because you've turned away from the only person who can forgive you. If you say no to Jesus, there's no sacrifice for you. Instead, what is there? A fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God? So this, the, what does this apostasy look like? It's, it's Actually, the word here is trampling, right? You have Jesus, and you just trample on him. You just step on him. That's, that's the word. So spurning the Son of God. And profaning the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. And considering Jesus' blood to be unclean, right? Profaning it. And outraging the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, right? I mean, there are many, many passages in the Bible where we're comforted, right? and strengthen and encourage. But there's these passages too, right? And this passage is a warning. And he's saying, be scared. There's a good kind of being scared. I'll I'll talk more about this again, especially Sunday. But there's a kind of fear that's good. I don't close my eyes when I drive. Do you? I hope not. I don't want to be on the road with you if you do. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. See that you, now it's you, the readers, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape, when they refused him who warned them on earth, you know, that's when the Mosaic law was given, the Israelites, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. So there's the warning. We won't escape. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God, our God is a consuming fire for those who get on the wrong side of him, right? So, one more passage, Hebrews 6. Here's my argument. All the passages are saying the same thing, right? He's just, he's he's not saying five different things in these passages. Every time he's warning them, it, it, it... How could we sum up these warnings in Hebrews? They go like this. If you deny me, I'll deny you. All the passages say the same thing. Every passage I said tonight is just a different way of saying the same thing. That's what's happening in Hebrews, right? You turn away from Jesus, it's over for you, right? You'll go to hell. You, You deny him, he'll deny you. You deny his sacrifice, of course you can't be forgiven. So that's how we ought to interpret Hebrews 6. So here here we go. For it is impossible... 
in the case of those who have once been enlightened. Well, who are those people? Well, I want to say to you, well, they're, they're Christians. They're Christians. They're not almost Christians because Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, listen to this verse. Hebrews 10, verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, the same word, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you, listen to this, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You were joyful even though they robbed you of your things <laughs> after you were enlightened. Clearly, I think that means after you were saved. So, back to Hebrews 6. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift. What's that? Salvation, I think. And have shared in the Holy Spirit. I'll come back to that. And have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. So they tasted three things, right? The heavenly gift, salvation. They've, they've tasted the goodness of the Word of God. That's the gospel. And the powers of the age to come. So some people say they've only sipped it. They only sipped it. That, that, that's a, that's, that is a good question, isn't it? What does that word taste mean? But I think, actually, if you look at the Bible... In the New Testament, taste almost always means fully ingesting something. And, and, and we know Hebrews uses the word taste that way because it says Jesus tasted death, Hebrews 2.9. Jesus didn't just sip death. Oh, a little sip. No, no, thank you. You know? He took death all the way down. So he's not using the word taste to mean sip. So I think he's saying, you've been saved. You've tasted the heavenly gift. You've, you've experienced Salvation. And your sharers in the Holy Spirit. So, you know, Spurgeon says about this text, could you, is there any clearer way of talking about someone who's a Christian than to say that they're sharers of the Holy Spirit? That's what the text says. Actually, you know, we have this word elsewhere, Jesus is a sharer in flesh and blood, right? I mean, it's a full sharing, right? He's human. Um, so, so this word means a full sharing. So he's talking to Christians, I think. And then he says, uh, and have fallen away, these people, it's impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God. That's the sin. So I, I think that's people who crucified Jesus. I think in the light of this warning, they don't go to heaven, right? To their own harm, and they hold them up to contempt. Then he uses an illustration. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. So if you bring forth fruit, you receive a blessing. But if that land bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless. By the way, that word worthless is always used in the New Testament of those going to hell. It is worthless. And near to being cursed. I I don't think he's saying when he says near to being cursed, they're going to escape the curse. I think he means near in time. It's coming. And its end is to be burned. No, no, no. One more thing I want to say. Um, it, it is late at night, and I'm going fast. But the one more thing I want to say is, it's not the crops that are burned, but the land. And the land represents the person. That's different, isn't it? It's the person. So, man, I've just hit you tonight with ammunition, right? And I haven't really explained things. I've just... I just Basically, all I did tonight is I read warning passages and let them hit you, right? And I tried, to, I tried to not hold back, just let them hit you, right? So, let's, we, you know, we just stew over them hit, and, and experience them and say, okay, that's what God's Word says. Now, what do we make of all that? So that's my next three talks. Tomorrow night, perseverance is not perfection. Sunday morning. Perseverance is not works righteousness, right? Because you could hear me and think, are you saying we have to be perfect? Not what we're saying. No, no, we're not saying that. Are you saying, is, do, we, do we work to be saved? Is it, our, is it our works? No, we're not saying that. And then Sunday morning, 
I'm, I'll try to explain how I put it all together. So that, that's where we are. I went longer than I should have. Sorry. But we can do the questions last time, whatever you think. All night. All night. Okay. All night. Yeah, I'll, I'll brew some coffee, so we'll be good. Thank you so much, brother. That was really helpful, really good. Let me say one thing. I'm going to ask you a question, and then we'll have some folks ready. Uh, if you have a question, you can raise your hand in a moment. Uh, I didn't mention this earlier. Uh, in in the, the book nook, directly through those double doors, when you walk through the entrance, you should hear this angelic, oh, when you walk into the book nook. Does that happen to anybody else or just me? <laughs> On the back shelf, we have a ton of books by Dr. Tom Schreiner. Uh, please grab those. If you're interested, I recommend all of them. I've read a lot of them. And so don't forget, again, we have many of his books in the book nook, middle shelf. I, I thought that was very clear tonight. I think uh, what I heard was, with the warning passages, these are passages that are often maybe not taken seriously by believers or ignored. Uh, and so we need to take them seriously. Uh, I heard Dr. Schreiner not say that those who are elect can lose their salvation. At the beginning, you said that these warning passages are God's means of bringing us to the end. Amen? Amen. And so Amen. can you just elaborate that for us? Because I heard that clearly. I want to make sure everyone else did that. Those who are elect, God will make sure they persevere. Yeah. However, we have to take these warning passages seriously. They are God's means of causing us to persevere. Amen, amen. And I'm going to talk about that more Sunday. Yeah, okay, great. We can wait. Yeah, we can I, wait. I like the suspense. Just I like, like yeah. it makes me come back. Yeah. It makes me want to come back. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. If you're not here Sunday, well, sorry. Sorry, yeah. yeah. We, we're, we're recording these. So, but man, that was so good. Thank you, brother. Yeah, thanks. Um, questions? Questions? All right, Mr. Burfine. We ha- and we have uh, Dave's coming your way, so just raise your hand. Brother Dave will find you. I'll probably say to every question, yeah, I'll talk about that Sunday. Um, my question is, is falling away from the faith the same as committing sins? Yeah, that's a great question. Is falling away from the faith the same as committing sins? No, it is not. David committed adultery and murdered but didn't fall away, Right? So we all sin, but that's not the same as falling away. Falling away is apostasy. Falling away is denying Christ. So, um, yeah. You, well, and I'm actually talking about this tomorrow night. We, we, we can sin rather dramatically and not fall away. Yeah, exactly. All right. Rif, is that Rifka? Yeah. Rifka, right here, middle. Yeah, I mean, I think it. I think what it means to stand firm finally means. Um, well, I don't know if this is going to help you, but you know, continue in the faith, right? Continue believing, continue trusting. I mean, obviously we all sin, but don't 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 loosen your hold on Jesus, right? Continue, continue to turn to Him for forgiveness, for hope, for joy. You know, it's an inter- one of the interesting things Hebrews says, I didn't read this, is don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together. Because I think for Hebrews, one sign that a person is forsaking Jesus is when they forsake the church, right? Yeah. So, you know, one, one indication that you're staying with Jesus is you're hanging around with other believers in a, in a good church, right? So, yeah. All right. More questions? Don't be shy. You know, maybe starting off, ask questions that relate to the topic tonight. But my brother said, you can ask anything you would like. So, any more questions? Hey, listen. When I came here in view of a call, you guys hammered me with questions. (laughs) Come on. I know you're not a shy bunch. So. It's okay. I would have a lot of questions for him, too. So. (laughs) But for... We still do. <laughs> so, it's okay. All right. My mom. Yeah. 
Yes, yes. And actually, I'll talk about that Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah. I told you I'd answer the questions like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. So, that, yeah, I, I did tell Chris, like, tonight I kind of leave you up in the air. So it's kind of hard to ask questions tonight. Yeah, but again, that, that brings people back. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. why I want to come back yeah. and hear more. You told me to do that, right? I did, yeah. 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 So. Hey, Yeah, well, we, we do. I mean, you know, even in Hebrews uh, 3, he's uh, quoting Psalm 95. So I, I just stuck to the New Testament mainly because of time. But, yeah, they're, they're in the Old Testament as well. Yeah. Can I ask, um, Brother Tom, why did you feel the need to write this book? Yeah, well, I, I felt the need because I think in our circles, not Arminian circles, I think in our circles these warnings are often ignored. Yeah. 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 So I said, hey, and uh, as I, you know, uh, another guy, Ardell Kennedy and I wrote a book together, a more technical book on this. Mm-hmm. And we, we just had a lot of talks and we said, we think the church, the reformed wing of the church isn't talking about these enough. Yeah. Yeah. So that's basically why. Yeah. yeah. So we felt, you know, this was not just an academic thing. We thought, this is really pastorally important. Yeah. yeah. And for our own individual lives, it was, yeah. it was helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.